0: of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are you willing to give up? What price are you willing to pay to follow the Lord Jesus? Here we sit in this beautiful, warm, comfortable building on these beautiful, comfortable pews. Would we be here? If there were holes in the wall, and if we just had rough planks to sit on, and the wintry cold was blowing through the building, would we be here? What are we willing to give up to follow Christ? Am I willing to give up my job? Am I willing to lose my house? What if it meant following Christ, what if it meant losing all of the funds that I've been working so hard to put aside? What if following Christ would would mean that I lose friends, that I lose a good relationship with family members? What if following Christ means that I have to give up my life? Where do you draw the line? Is there any price that you are not willing to pay? And how long would it take you to decide? And what would the decision be? Now, we confess with the church of all times and places that the eternal Son of God took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary and we confess that he suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified. Now if you have your psalm book still open flip back a few pages to Lord's Day 7 page 524 look at the creed for a moment. You look at The second article, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, the divinity of our Savior. Look at the third article, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, which treats the divinity and the humanity of our Savior. And then come four, five, six, and seven. These are the works of the Son of God. And These works in articles 4, 5, 6, and 7, that he suffered, that he was crucified, dead, buried, descended into hell, he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Those articles 4 through to 7, he could not have done if articles 2 and 3 were not true. To do those acts, those mighty acts of redemption, Jesus needed to be God of God and true man from true man. What did it cost him? What price did he pay? How much did our Christmas present cost? Well, the apostle says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. What did it cost him? Well, the apostle tells us in the second letter to the Philippians that he emptied himself, that he humbled himself that he set aside his heavenly majesty and glory and humbled himself to be found in human nature. That baby nursing at Mary's breast is the creator of the world and he is depending on a sinful woman to keep him alive. What did it cost him? He was born in a humble abode of peasants and animals. A place that we wouldn't feel comfortable living in ourselves or having our children born in those circumstances. The knife of circumcision cut into his flesh on the eighth day with the blood and the pain. He came to a life of poverty, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He came to a life of hunger and thirst, of suffering the temptation of the devil in the desert, a life of being hunted by an increasingly large number of people seeking to kill him, a life of giving himself, but so often meeting with people's refusal to receive him. He came to his own, and his own received him not. A life of being disappointed by the slowness to understand of his disciples, and being betrayed by one of them, abandoned by all. A life of hardship and pain feeling deeply the the brokenness of this sinful world, standing at the tomb of his friend, Lazarus, and weeping, a life of suffering in body and soul, being despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, the kind of person, that you don't find on the front of a hallmark card, but rather someone from whom you recoil in horror. And then came the end. Then came the climax of all the persecution, of all the injustice, all the hatred that he suffered his entire life, the the show trial in which though innocent, he was condemned to death, and him sweating drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane, and him carrying the cross. As he had carried the cross of suffering all his life, now he carries the wood of a physical cross, and his weakened, battered, beaten, bruised body could not hold up under it. And he's nailed to a tree, Exposed, naked, humiliated to die a slow and excruciating death by torture. And then the worst, the worst of it all. As the darkness descends and the presence of the favor and love of the Father are withdrawn from him. And God is only present in heart, burning, infinite wrath against sin. The way God is only present in hell. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is why Christmas happened. This is why he was born. So that he could suffer all this. Now, why would he do that? Why? Well, the gospel tells us. For God so loved the world. He did it for love. He did it because he loves you. He loves you. And what was Christ willing to pay for you? Well, we read it in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He took chastisement so that we could have peace. He took the wounds so that we could have the healing. And he carried the weight of the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race so that we could get the love of God poured into our brand new regenerated hearts. He suffered Body and soul, everlasting damnation, so that we could receive eternal blessing. And he was condemned and he fell under the severe judgment of God, so that we could be declared innocent and have the grace of God poured over us. And he took upon himself the curse of God, so that we could receive the blessing. Of God. This is the great exchange of the gospel that Paul writes about to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this is not just a nice story that we made up. This is historical fact. We confess that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. There is a time, a historical time. There is a place, a historical place. This is, like every every other article of the Creed, a historical fact. The Christian faith is not a series of nice stories that we tell ourselves because we're afraid... Of the dark. But the Christian faith is a series of historical truths, great redemptive historical acts, which are facts which show us and bring us to the light. The Presbyterian Theologian J. Gresham Machen put it this way, Christianity is a way of life founded upon a proclamation of something that happened. Now, liberal Christianity eviscerates the scriptures of all historical or most historical truth. And liberal Christianity prefers to just kind of get the vibe of the gospel, which is that we need to be very nice people, and that God is just a really, really good example of that, of being really nice. And so the liberal Christians, the liberal theologians, they speak of a suffering God, a suffering God. So when we are distressed, we are in sorrow over the world of pain, when we are in pain, then God, the suffering God, He comes alongside us to suffer right with us. He's in the concentration camps and the torture chambers and the field hospitals in the aftermath of catastrophes, and He's agreeing with us that this is so horribly awful He's hurting right along with us in our pain, saying, oh, how I wish this were different. But this is not the God of the Scriptures. The God of modern liberal theology is not the God of the Scriptures. The God of the Scriptures is sovereign and immutable and does not have emotional reactions to experiences like we do. And instead of the false picture of a weak and suffering God who is distressed about evil but really can't do much to change things, the Bible, instead of that, presents to us the sovereign, eternal God who was made man so that he could suffer and by his suffering could change everything. Now, this is important. You're going to read this stuff in the commentaries and in general, shallow, uh, what passes for evangelical writing on the internet, you're going to read about the suffering God. Be careful. That's not what the scripture teaches. We do not have a suffering God. We don't even have a suffering Savior. The Romanists have a suffering savior. They have the Jesus who is perpetually on the cross. They have the crucifix. They have the Jesus who is never finished suffering. He's daily being sacrificed in the mass. We don't have a suffering God. We don't have a suffering savior. We have a savior who has suffered past tense. That's important. He has suffered. He suffered during all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end. And then just before he died, after the climax of his agony and pain, he cried out in a loud voice and he cried out in triumph. It is finished. He accomplished what his suffering, what he had set out to do, by his suffering. It is finished. It's done. It's over. Now, this is important, brothers and sisters. If you look at the creed, we say it, we sing it every Sunday. He suffered past tens under Pontius Pilate. This is very, very important for us to hold on to. That it's done. There's nothing left to do. There's nothing left to suffer. Do you ever feel like God is punishing you? Things are going wrong in your life, and you think, is God angry with me? Is God getting me back for that sin that I committed, for that bad choice, that bad decision that I made? I think we all go through that sometimes. Child of God, every Sunday, we confess the historical fact that Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, passed, and it is done, it is finished, it's over, it's paid for. There's no curse left for you, none. There's no judgment left for you, none. There is no wrath left for you, None. What does the apostle say? Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what he got with his suffering. With that price he paid, that's what he got. No condemnation for us. What did it cost him? It cost him everything. That's how much he loves you. He gave up everything for you. Jesus loves you so much, he literally went to hell and back for you. That's how much he loves you. Well, how much do you love him? What are you willing to give up for him? Have you counted the cost of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? What price are you willing to pay? There are no half measures. With Jesus, it is all or it is nothing. Jesus doesn't want your scraps. Jesus doesn't want the leftovers of your time and your attention, your energy and your resources. It is all or it is nothing. Christian, would you be a disciple of the Savior who suffered? Then deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Amen.